So he became fully son of man so we could become fully sons of God. He bore our weaknesses at the most weakest point so that we can be filled with his strength at our weak points. I want to share some things uh, about communion, and then we're going to do communion. And I'm not sure how we're going to do it yet, but I think we should do it differently than the way we've done it the last couple times, just because it's starting to feel like a routine, and we cannot have routines in the house. So we don't know. Holy Spirit, you just tell us what you want us to do, and we'll jump in there and do it. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I know I said the last last week that the next time I was up, I was going to start talking about the adversary, but I'm not going to talk about the adversary today. It's communion. He's defeated, so I'm not even going to give him any airtime today. This is about the victorious one. Um, I, you know, I said, I don't know, a couple, it's probably been three weeks ago, I think, something like that. Um, I had, before church, I'd gone out and I was sitting on the front porch, just kind of setting my heart towards being here. And I said, at, on that day, I said, I found myself in this spot as I sat there. I knew I was in both heaven and earth, and I couldn't quite distinguish which side I was more on. And then I came to church, got totally whacked coming through Lincoln. I don't know that it had anything to do with Lincoln itself, but I got totally whacked coming through there anyway, and then got here and, and all that. And I said to Linda last night, I said, from that time to the present, um, and this is something that I haven't experienced in a really long time, but I find myself, and I don't even have a good word for it, I'm just going to use the word euphoric. I found myself from that encounter on the porch to standing here in front of you now that I'm in like this euphoric state and um, it's, um, so I can go about doing what I normally do and focus on things that I do, but the minute I turn my attention and I just kind of look back, I just step back there. So it's not like, when, when, in the days of the renewal, when, when the Holy Spirit poured out here in 94, um, in those days, I was euphoric, but I was incapable of functioning. Because um, I had never encountered the Holy Spirit like that in, my, in all my Christian life. Um, but we're maturing. And God is increasing, one, increasing our capacity but he's also increasing how we function within the capacity that we hold, which I think is just maturing. Um, and so I think, I'm, I think I'm every bit in that same spot again, except I can actually stand up in front of you without falling down, and then you guys have to sit there and go, well, will somebody get up and do something? Because I don't think he's coming back. And I didn't. Um, so... That, that could be a good thing. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, everybody else was wiped, wiped out as well. So we, we just hardly even noticed that everybody else was that way. Um, so I don't, I don't know all that that means. I don't, have, uh, I don't have, actually, I haven't even sought for an explanation. There's a big part of me now that just doesn't even care. If God wants to show up and hang out with me that way, so be it. Yeah. And if he wants to do it a different way, so be it. Because I, I, I think I'm finally getting through my head that if I just let him be himself in me, that's a lot better than me trying to tell him what he should be in me, which is where I've spent a lot of my life. Um, so I'm just learning finally to chill. Um, and the other, 
and I, I don't know there's a correlation. I'll just have to, I'm going to have to live through it just to, to be able to say at some point, yes, there is or no, there wasn't. Um, but I have, you know, I've said a couple times this year, and we're now in October. So this month, actually next, the second Tuesday of October, whatever that date is, but the second Tuesday of October in 1972 was the day I went to a Jesus People meeting and was born again. So I have now been a believer for 50 years. Wow. So this is my year of Jubilee, yeah. and I don't know what that means. I'm going to have to live through it, and I'll tell you next year. <laughs> and I'm good if, like, since I've, it's been 50 years, if God wants to extend Jubilee a little further, he's welcome to do that as long as he wants to. But um, and, and be, we are going to get to 1 Corinthians times. But, um, and I'm going to formulate this a little bit more. But what I can say is, after walking as a believer for 50 years, I cannot see a better way for a person to live their life than the way I've lived my life. As imperfect as it's been, as the ups and downs that it's carried, as the 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 questions that I still carry as to answers that came at certain points, as to everything that's been the experience, both in the natural with my family, with this family, and in the unseen, in the supernatural. It's just, it's been amazing. And when people say, well, I don't know, you know, I think, I think you know, you, you Christians, I mean, it's just another idea, it's another philosophy. You guys just get all hooked in on this book and, you know, and they give all the reasons why what we do is ridiculous. And all I can say is, well, for 50 years, I have heard and experienced the voice of the living God. And I don't care what you think about me, because I know who I am. And I know where I've come from. And I know where I'm going. So I don't, I don't really care. This is this, the best event was walking into that meeting on a Tuesday night and having an encounter with the living God. And I was sitting here thinking, 50 years ago, I hadn't had the encounter yet, but God was already setting the stage to ambush me in the basement of a Baptist church and speak my name. So it's, it's good. It's good. Maybe that's why I'm euphoric. I don't know. Anyways, we've been talking. We are going to do communion. I just wanted to, I'm actually revisiting some things that I had, um, I've said in the past, but it felt like it was, it was a, this morning that we should refresh ourselves in some of this. You know, when we, when we get to Corinthians, especially by the time we're at the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul, the, the whole letter to the church at Corinth, is it's a letter of instruction, it's a letter of correction, and what we don't have are the letters that have gone from Corinth to Paul, which precipitated him writing Corinthians, which in the original letter, it wasn't first and second. Um, it, just, it was letters back and forth that were ultimately put together um, so that we could see what, what was transpiring. And at the Church of Corinth, Corinth is one of the original um, pagan churches that Paul started. A lot of the, with the church of Jerusalem and some of the other churches, they started in synagogues. And so they had at least had the Jewish roots of, of what uh, a society should look like. So for Christianity to, to, to come alongside Judaism, you know, there was a lot of similarities. And um, I just did see the other day on a, on a history documentary I was watching that in the excavations in Pompeii, 
that there's several places within the city where there's a synagogue and a church almost alongside each other. So that in that time, there was a coexistence um, in some places between the two. So there, so there was a, a, a general understanding of God, one God. There was a general understanding of through Ten Commandments, through the various things that there's there's an order that a society should follow. There's a way that people should live. Corinth, on the other side, it was the Wild West. It was a, it was a major um, um, crossroads. So it was a city that, that, uh, that you know, was a lot of um, commerce that took place there. And those people, what they had as a grid was, was Roman thought, multi-gods. You know, the various things that went on, the, the, the sexual immorality that existed within that culture that nobody thought much about. It was just the way we live. It's what we do. So, but now they become believers. Now, going back to 1994, when the Holy Spirit fell here and it was like we went through that amazing, incredible time, I was, I used to say a lot, and I only said it, I think, because I heard other people say it and it sounded good, so I started saying it. But we would say, and we would quote the scripture, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Now, that is true. But when people are born again, all of us, we don't immediately become something else. We are still ourselves, and now we're on a journey and a progression towards something now we have a voice that we had never heard before, or at least if we had heard it, we didn't recognize it as the voice of Yahweh, voice of the Holy Spirit speaking. So now we're learning to hear the voice, to understand that, wow, there is this, there's something else now that's at work. It's not just me. So the church at Corinth was going through that same thing. So they, they, they're worshiping, they're loving Jesus, and so forth, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of stuff still hanging around. So, you know, we know from, uh, um, what was it, chapter 5, I think it is, where, you know, Paul goes, you know, it's even been said that you got this guy, you know, shacking up with, a mo with the mother, and like, you know, this stuff, it should, just shouldn't be going on. And so there's that correction. There was just a general correction towards immorality. There was the general correction towards, you know, drunkenness and the various things that were taking place. And so that brings, he, he takes us through that progression first to bring us to the 11th chapter. And so starting with, I'm going to start with verse 23. Is, I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks, and he distributed it to the disciples and said, take, take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. There's another translation that says, do this in memorial of me. I actually like the word memorial. I think it better fits than just remembrance. But at any way, pick the one you like. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and the blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude, and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. If you do not sin in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment yourself. I'm not sin. If you do not sit in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment yourself. 
But when we are judged, it's the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my fellow believers, when you assemble as, as one to share a meal, show respect for one another and wait for all to be served. If you're hungry, eat at home first so that when you gather together, you will not bring judgment upon yourself. When I come to you, I will answer the other questions you have asked me in your letter. So I've talked about this before, but this idea of discerning the, the table, of discerning the communion, of discerning the blood and the body of Jesus. How do I discern that? And there's a couple of things. One is um, if, if I discern it by first realizing that we are the body. So I first start from this place of love. I'm going to, I love the body of Christ. And so I discern you as being in him as I am in him. And when I'm doing that, I, now I'm discerning my place in you, and I'm also discerning your place in me, and that we are both in him. So it's more than just coming together as a group that can do certain things that groups do. There's plenty of groups under all kinds of headings and names that come together. But that's not the body. The body is when we come together as believers and we discern that we are all believers and as such, the power of God, the person of God dwells in us and is activating things in us that separates, or not doesn't separate, but sets me, uh, distinguishes me from you and distinguishes you from me. That the gifting in you is different than the gifting in me, even if we're both using the same gift. It's going to come out a little bit different. It's going to be, I'm going to use it different than Joe. I'm going to use it different than Sue, even if we're all three prophesying. Right? So I, now I start to discern that this, this thing that I've been made a part of, this thing that I've been brought into, because it, it wasn't like I went and filled out a membership card and applied to see, you know, and they did a background check to see if they'll let me in their club. It was because in a mo at some point I had a personal encounter with the living God, which now made me just like the rest of you who have had a personal encounter with the living God. And so in that personal encounter, we now have been called the body of Christ, which means in Paul, you know, in other places talks about all the different members and one member isn't more important than another. One, one member isn't, you know, can't say I'm just going to be detached because I'm this and I'm not that. And he goes, no, 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 that's not the way it works. You know, I'm standing here in front of you as a physical body and everything that I have at least from my opinion, is important, except some of the pounds. But, you know, if, if, you, if, if I only have four fingers on this hand, obviously the hand doesn't function as it was created to function. And, you know, I can go through all the, the different pieces. But when we are together, when we've been put together, knit together as the body of Christ, and, we, and in communion now we're discerning that together there is something extremely unique that happens in our midst every time we come together. Even Jesus said, if there's two or more that are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in the midst. I've sat with two people, three people, and had incredible encounters with God. It doesn't take a thousand. It doesn't, there is no specific number, just two or three. And and so he's in our midst all the time. So what right now, he's at work in us to bring about his plans, his purposes. You know, we talk about seasons and different, different ways. We try to, in English, describe what he's doing, but and some words work okay, and some words really just come really short of what we need, what we're trying to say. But what he's doing in us is creating this place where heaven steps onto the earth and God's plans and God's heart are manifest on the earth because we've assembled as the body. And that will not happen when it's just me sitting somewhere by myself. 
I can have encounters with God by myself, obviously, so can you. But the, the fullness of God and what he's accomplishing is in the midst of the body. And he will not give all the revelation. He will not give all of anything to one person. Because then he would be contradicting his own, his own word. It's like, no, no, no. When you come together, that's what I'm going to be in your midst then. And so we need to discern that when we come together, he's in our midst. That's the first thing we have to discern. We're just not here as a collection of people. We are actually here as heaven's portals assembling together so that heaven, in whatever way God is going to do it on this particular day, is going to manifest itself somehow and release something on the earth. And, and it's not really up to us to strategize too much about that. Just show up and see what he's going to do. The other thing with communion that I, I like in this, as Paul writes this out, he says, um, in verse 24, at least in this translation, it's talking about the you know, distributing the elements. He says, in particular, the bread. He says, take, eat it, and then eat your fill. Now, of course, we've, we've kind of marginalized everything now because I don't know about you all, but that is not my fill. I'm just, just saying. But he said, take this and eat it, but eat your fill. Because in God's economy, to be full is to be standing in his blessing. He's like, eat the fat. Eat, eat your fill. So when we come together, and so I discern that when I'm in the midst of you, as I stand here today, I have the opportunity to eat my fill. So what does eating the fill look like? Well, it can look like this, but I think it looks more like as we are fellowshipping with one another, we're now pulling from each other and giving to each other, and there's, an, there's the exchange of the relationship, the exchange of the encounter, and I can eat my fill. I can talk to everybody in the room, or I can talk to one person. Well, if I talk to one person, there's your fill. If I encounter more, I'm getting more, and I'm giving more. And I start to discern that this thing in this body, this relationship that we're in, there, I can have my fill here. I can be fully satisfied here. And I also know in being satisfied that each of us are unique. So depending on what it is that I'm wanting to eat right now, do I want the salad? Do I want the dessert? Do I want the vegetable? Do I want the meat? Each of you represent a different piece of that meal. And I just I get to decide where do I want to start. Now, I, I'm one of those folk that um, I don't do this naturally, but in this environment, I usually go for the dessert first. I just, there, there's, and, and it's, you know, if we want to be honest, it's that way for all of us in the room. There's certain ones that because of the relationships we've developed, you taste better than another person in the room. That's not a matter of importance. And it's not a matter of judgment. It's a matter of taste, of being satisfied. So we, we will naturally gravitate to certain people first, which is not being exclusive, it's not being, you know, any of that stuff. I mean, it could be that, but I think in the body functioning, it's not that, because love is at the center. But if I'm dealing with something, all right, so I come in and, and my heart's heavy today and, and um, I can't seem to get past whatever it is that's, that's affecting me, at a certain point when we say, anybody that needs prayer, come up, and the prayer team's going to pray for you. Well, Instead of hanging out in the back of the room, maybe talking to somebody, I'm going to come up front and I'm going to position myself right here because I want prayer. Because this is the piece of the meal that tastes the best to me today. 
And so whoever prays for me, now I'm, I'm receiving, I'm tasting. But I'm also giving something because as I, if I submit myself to you for you to pray for me, okay, you're imparting something to me, but I'm also imparting something to you. They're in that place of yielding and giving you the privilege to pray for me. I'm now building you up. And when you hear the report of how you prayed for me and what happened after I got prayer, when you hear the report, now your faith goes up because you ate that piece of the meal. And so now I'm stronger because I ate that piece of the meal. Right? So, but every time we come together, you know, what our particular need is, what our particular taste is that day, you know, maybe, maybe I've got, I'm working on something and I'm trying to pray through something that's got to do with finances. Well, there's certain people I'm going to go to to talk to them about that because I respect the wisdom that they carry. Maybe somebody else, you know, it's, you know, for some reason Linda woke up this morning and didn't like me. Well, I, you know, there's certain people I'm going to go to because their wisdom and how to straighten out bad relationships you know, I'm just going to come over here and eat dessert right here first, you know. And if everything works right, what you feed me, I'm going to be able to come back over here and feed her so she'll like me again. <laughs> oh, and this is my wife. I know you haven't seen her in quite a while, but we, we are still married. We are firing on all cylinders and I'm delighted to have her here today. Uh, so, so that's what Paul is saying in this idea of discerning. And he, he, then he goes on and he says, look, this is the problem. One, if you don't, depending on the translation, if you don't judge yourself or evaluate yourself. So if I come in, I don't evaluate myself and I'm thinking, I'm just good. I'm good. You know, I don't have a problem in the world. And everybody else in the room is going, what is up with him? He's like a mess. And everybody can see I'm a mess except me. And I think I'm golden. Well, now I haven't evaluated. I haven't discerned. So when I come in, Paul says, because you won't do that, some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are even dying. You know, and um, years ago, this is going back many years ago, there was a person that, that we knew and that individual was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in the beginning, it could have been something that could have been taken care of. But because they would not do anything about the condition that they had, they ultimately died. And, if, and I watched that whole process move towards its conclusion and, um, and the whole time I'm going, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, this, this is, one, it's treatable. Two, it's small. Three, you're not even trusting, one, anybody to pray for you. The only prayers we were allowed to pray were prayers that just agreed with what they said they were going to do. Okay, well... But it was, it was a needless, in my view, it was a needless death because there was not a discerning of the body. There was, a, there was a disconnect and a holding away, but not a coming together. And what I have seen is when we come together, when we're praying for the sick, it's not like we're all going to be given our particular, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. I know, I know there is advice and there's counsel and I'm not speaking against that, but generally there is, you're allowing me to hold you in my heart and you're also now allowing your heart to hold me as we both come in union against this thing that's trespassing. But we're in it together moving towards what God is releasing. And we've all, you know, we've all lived long enough. We've, we've walked with those who we stood with, prayed for, 
fasted for, did all the things that we did, and they went on the glory. And then there's those that we did all those same things, and they're still sitting in our midst. So we've walked down that road. But we walk down that road together as the body. So I, dis- I start to discern that. I start to discern that um, I need to evaluate myself. Is my heart connected? Is my heart disconnected? Am I open or closed? Am I letting you near or am I holding you away? And depending on what I'm doing is going to have an effect on my life. So Paul's saying, be, be aware of that because um, if you're not discerning, then, then these judgments will start to come. Now, I don't see the judgments as being like God's wrathful judgment against you. I don't really think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, one, there's the natural judgments. So if, you know, if I don't eat correctly, there'll be a natural judgment that comes against my body. It's not God saying, well, if you're not going to eat what I tell you to eat, then I'm just going to start sending plagues your way. He doesn't have to, because if I'm eating the wrong stuff, ultimately that judgment is just going to come. And I'll either learn something from it, or I won't learn something from it. But it's not him in his... uh, in wrath, and you know, some people will take that stance, and I just don't see that. I also see that God also is teaching us, so there are judgments of God. But when God judges, his judgment is correcting. You know, every father disciplines his son. No, any son that isn't disciplined isn't a son. Well, many of us grew up in kind of the harsh fire and brimstone environment, and so when you hear statements like that, you're thinking about you know, God coming along with a bullwhip and just, you know, I'm going to really punish you when that's not his judgment. His judgment is corrective. And how many of us have, has he corrected along our life path? I know in 50 years, he's corrected me a lot. But it's always been in love and it's always been in it towards a direction, even, and and the, I mean, say it this way, the correction will will be at whatever level of rebellion I'm carrying in my heart. If I submit, well, then I've been corrected. And, and submitting you know, can be as simple as, Robert, stop doing that. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I repent. You know, Holy Spirit, come. Uh, just help me to, to, to ch- make this change in my life. And, and that could be the entire measure of judgment which I think is my father's preference. He said, what I'd like you to do is, I'm going to tell you things, just do them. That, that, I mean, that's, that's how it's going to work. But the, the level of correction will meet out according to my level of rebellion. So if God is saying to me, you need to forgive that person, and I'm going, I ain't forgiving them. So now we're right here. And he goes, but you need to forgive that person. I ain't going to forgive that person. And, and it's going to keep equaling out until a certain point through understanding, through his voice, through, I mean, it can, he, he talks to us in a myriad of ways. But at some point, the goal is that I yield and go, you're right. I never should have held that offense. That offense has been really destructive to me. And, and Lord, I'm going to let it go. And even in those places where we start by saying, and I don't even know how to let it go, but I know I need to let it go. In that place, Holy Spirit comes in and he starts to give us wisdom. Because a heart that is carrying an offense is a sick heart. And a sick heart ultimately will give you a sick body. Which is why forgiveness is so good. You know, we're always, and I know you all know this, but, you know, when we, when we, we, we can take the point of, if I'm going to forgive them, that's saying what they did was okay. No, it's not, that's, that's not letting that, the other person off the hook at all. What it does, it gets you off the hook. 
because now you can move back to a place of health. God will deal with that person. And he's having the same conversation with them as the perpetrator as he's having with me as the victim. I mean, God is not unaware of them. He's not removed from their heart. You You know, even in what you just went through, Clarence, it's like the other parties, he's right there with them too. He's talking to them. Now, how, how that all works itself out, we don't know. May never know. But the important thing is, in the midst of that, you're free because you're not carrying the offense. In verse 31, if you do not sit in judgment of others, you'll avoid judgment yourself. So there's two, there's two ways that this discerning, discerning needs to take place. One, as I just said, and the second one is this place where I'm not sitting in judgment of others. That's, uh, well, probably for most of us, that's, that's the harder one to deal with because we have opinions. And you've done such and such, and I have an opinion about that. And the other thing about opinions is we think everybody should know them. So not only do I have an opinion, but I'm going to start telling other people about the opinion I have about what Mike did. (laughs) And now, again, I'm not discerning. I'm I'm now sitting in judgment of others. I'm now entering into this place where I'm looking at somebody else, and I'm, I, what I'm saying is I'm wise enough. I know the intent of your heart. And God's the only one that knows the intent of any of our hearts. I can see what it looks like as it comes out in some form of action, but even that, I, I stand a good chance of being wrong. I can, I can wonder why this person is just, every time I see them, they're just an angry person. I don't even like being around them. You know, if they're, if they're one of the people in the room, that's one of the, the foods on the table I'm not going to eat. I don't like that food. So I'm not going to partake. But I can make the judgment because of what I see, but I don't know the intent of the heart. I don't know what's driving that. What, and most times when I'm not discerning, then I will go, I will uh, say things about that person, withdraw from that person, do whatever I'm going to do, but the, I'm going to have a negative reaction when if I'm really properly discerning, I should be praying and going, Lord, you know, what? I don't know what's going on, but they, you know, you know, come, uh, be, what, what, what needs to change in their life? Help them. However, I'm going to pray that out. And then at some point, it may actually involve me going to them and asking them, are you all right? Are you okay? Because you don't seem okay. But now I'm not standing in judgment. Now I'm actually working out what intercession looks like. It's moved from the prayer closet to actually, now I'm in front of this person. Well, what do you need? How do I... You know, how can I help you? Um, you know, Diane, you shared the other week about uh, the guy that helps with the food. Um, I can't think of his name. Yeah. Cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. A couple, couple months back, uh, he had had an encounter with, with somebody there. And, and so he, he had kind of withdrawn from the whole group. He's over by the side of the church. And he's just kind of standing there. And I'm, mo- yeah, and, and I'm, I'm moving back and forth because I'm helping with the traffic. And I, I walk by him and, and say something just, you know, just like hi or something. I don't know exactly what it was. And he just started to tell me about this whole incident that had happened. And he was mad and he wasn't ever coming back. And he, he, had, he, had, he had built this really big picture. And was really, really angry. Um, so I just took a few minutes to stand there and listen to his story. And when he got done, I'm like, I'm really sorry that happened to you. That shouldn't have happened. And I, I just apologize for the person that did what they did. 
And in a few minutes, he, you, could, you could feel him just come from up here really mad to back down to being himself. Now, the person that what he was all torqued up about, probably most of us wouldn't have thought anything about it. But in his heart, it lodged. Should it have lodged? Well, probably not, but it did. So it's not my place to enter into judgment against him. It's my place to be the intercessor that says, that shouldn't have happened to you, I'm sorry. And try to be some type of peacemaker here to help them step out of where they are and move back. And, in, and you know, I don't know that it solved everything for him, but he, he de-escalated anyway. And he didn't leave. And by the end of the day, he was back over by the truck doing what he does so well. So um, that, again, is like that's how we discern. It's like I, don't wanna, I should not be somebody that comes into judgment and is quick to say what the intent of somebody else's heart is. I need to be a Christ imager who goes to the person maybe only in prayer. Sometimes it's in prayer and then in action, but how do I be a Christ imager here and help you step out of where you are and step back into a place of peace? Because if I'm a peacemaker, now I'm a son of God. If I'm a judge, I'm not making peace. And any type of peace I'm going to try to mete out as a judge is only going to be in the form of punishment. But God's full of mercy. So how do I be an agent of mercy in the situation. I have to discern. So when we are judged, it's the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. God does come and he does correct. He does discipline me. I'm glad he disciplines me. And, I, and I've, I've said before, Probably in my whole journey, one of the um, one of the best gifts I think the Lord has given me is when I finally came to understand that repentance is my friend. It's one of the greatest gifts God has given us because it always allows me to move back into his heart. Not that I'm out of his heart, but you know what I'm saying. It allows me to move back. And it, it's not based on step one, step two, step three, and all that other stuff. It's just, now I just repent. And when I repent, I'm restored. And when I'm restored, I'm fully functioning again. And finally, it brings it back down to just the practical things. You know, so then, my fellow believers, when you assemble as one to share the meal, show respect for one another and wait for all to be served. If you are that hungry, eat at home so that when you gather together, you'll not bring judgment upon yourself. So again, it's like discerning the body, that I, I have preference over the body more than myself. It's not about what do I get out of everything. It's about what do I give and how does that benefit the body as a whole, knowing that in my giving, I get. I never, I'm, not, I'm never going to, God is never going to be indebted to me. No matter what I give, he will always give back more. So the, the final aspect of this, um, of what do I discern, is when we come together to take communion, as we're going to do, what am I remembering about communion? What, what's on my heart today? What am I remembering So I remember the blood of Christ cleanses my sin and unrighteousness in establishing atonement. His broken body releases the potential for, for healing in my body. I'm reconciled to the Father by the propitiation or the gift of reconciliation. I discern that alienation caused by my sin has been removed and I'm born again. I'm wrapped in Christ. I'm dis I discern that I'm placed in a family of Christ followers. I have access to the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's been placed in each member of the body of Christ. I've been made 
I am being made and I shall be completed as an imager of Christ called to bring his love and reconciliation to the world. That's what I discern. And you can add other things to it. That's not an exhaustive list by any means. And I don't think when we come together, we necessarily have to have a long list every time. I like that in communion, here's this, all these things I can discern, but today I discern this is what I need. Today I just, Lord, I just, I discern, I, I need your presence more than I, than I've, uh, you know, I, I need your presence, or I need healing, or I need reconciliation, or I need repentance, or I need, you know, love. Whatever it is, I have access, and I can eat my fill. I can eat my fill. So let me, let me conclude with Psalms 103. King David's song of praise, my whole heart, with my whole life, with my innermost being, I bow in wonder and love before you, the holy God. Yahweh, you are my soul's celebration. How could I ever forget the miracles and kindness you've done for me? You kiss my heart with forgiveness in spite of all I've done. You've healed me inside and out from every disease. You've rescued me from hell and saved my life. You've crowned me with love and mercy. You satisfy my every desire with good things. You've supercharged my life so that I soar again like a flying eagle in the sky. You're the God who makes things right, giving justice to the defenseless. You unveiled, you unveiled to Moses your plans and showed Israel's sons what you could do. Lord, you're so kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look at us only to find our faults, just as you cannot hold a grudge against us. You may discipline us for our many sins, but never as much as we really deserve. Nor do you get even with us for what we've done. Higher than the highest heavens, that's how high your tender mercy extends. Greater than the grandeur of heaven above is the greatness of your loyal love towering over all who fear you and bow down before you. Farther than, from, farther than from a sunrise to a sunset, that's how far you've removed our guilt from us. The same way a loving father feels towards his children, that's but a sample of your tender feelings towards us, your beloved children who live in all of you. You know all about us, inside and out. You are mindful that we are made from dust. Our days are so few, and our momentary beauty so swiftly fades away. Then all of a sudden, we're gone, like grass clippings blown away in the gust of the wind, taken away to an appointment of, with death, leaving nothing to show that we were here. But Lord, your endless love stretches from one eternity to another unbroken and unrelenting towards those who fear you and those who bow face down in awe before you. Your faithfulness to keep every gracious promise you've made passes from parents to children to grandchildren and beyond. You are faithful to all those who follow your ways and keep your word. God's heavenly throne is eternal, secure, and strong and his sovereignty rules the entire universe. That's what we discern. That's, that's the God we're in communion with. That's the God that lives in each of us and then knits our hearts to one another. That's who he is, and that's who we are. And that's what we discern. We are the image bearers of Christ. And what a great and glorious privilege that is. Amen.
So since I think this will work today because we don't have a, a full room, let's uh, kind of form a circle that kind of goes around and through there and, and back around. And then if, if you need to be seated, just we'll get you. I'll put it that way. We'll get you. You will not be out of the circle. But if you, if you can, and then we're just going to pass the communion plate around and so that all of us get to serve to, to another. So why don't we start the, start the bread that way, and we'll, we'll start the juice this way. How's that? And we'll do it together. Just keep, just pass it around. Okay. Yep. Get in your little circle. <laughs> you know how to make a circle. <laughs> Over there. We have somebody else coming. Join me. <coughs> 